Hey everyone, welcome back to Miles on the Grid. Uh, this is your host, Miles. Um, in today's episode, we've actually got a really special guest, Hazel Southwell from Inside Electric. Um, in today's show, we're going to be talking to Hazel, finding out a bit more about what they do, where they want to be, and also seeing how exactly does FE differ from F1 on a day-to-day basis? What does it mean? And just educating us a bit more. So, Hazel, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> no, you're welcome. Um, I mean, when it comes to uh, what you do, I know that we've spoken a little bit beforehand, but could you tell me in very simple words, what is it that you do at the moment and why is it so interesting? And if you hear any noise, it is my dog in the background. Apologies. <laughs> um, what, say hello to your dog? I will. <laughs> um, uh, yes, so I'm uh, a motorsport and automotive journalist. I tend to say, although, um, especially when you're talking about motorsport, technical journalists, yes. in particular, sort of, um, people tend to assume that means uh, kind of like an aerodynamic specialist, which I'm not, I, I don't, I understand aerodynamics a bit, but I'm, I'm clearly not um, someone like uh, Craig Scarborough. Yeah. Um, but I do understand batteries and powertrains and um, hybrid uh power units and, and kind of the stuff that makes cars uh, and other vehicles yeah. um, go. So, yeah, in the, in that respect, I kind of specifically write more about those kind of things than, say, particularly, I don't know, the detailing on the new Lamborghini Countach, or those <laughs> that I did actually write about that. <laughs> I was about to say, wasn't there an article about that? <laughs> Yeah, no, that's cool. Okay, cool. So, I mean, it, it sounds it sounds really interesting, and I'm I'm not going to lie to you. As much as I like to try and pretend that I'm technical, and I think I'm sort of like scarves in disguise, I'm not. Um, so, what got you interested in batteries and, and powertrains, and the, not powertrains, but drivetrains from from that perspective? Um, I've I've always been so one of the things I first liked about my sport, or like just generally, I've always been interested in engineering, yeah. in cars, in kind of um how stuff's put together i used to want to design spaceships nice uh, when i was little um and like scrappy challenge which like i'd show my age somewhat here but like that was a very it's all right <laughs> bit of my team um and uh yeah so from from my perspective it's always been something that like is, is genuinely just compelling on its own but also yeah. uh particularly when formula e appeared there was very little information about the way that electric drivetrains work, yes, um, the way that motors work, the way that regen works, and, and things like that, and so it tended to be the questions that I was getting were all kind of like, you know, things like can Formula E cars run in the rain? Which yes, of course they yeah. can. Yeah, like it's, it's a question because you know we know that electricity doesn't really mix well with water normally. So like, why would why would an electric motor actually potentially be better? than an engine mm. in wet conditions and everything. So yeah, I think it's it's something where I found there was a big gap. Um, and I quite like explaining it. And I yeah. think I'm, I'm well, I hope yeah. uh, I'm, I can kind of strike a balance between kind of like not too patronizing, but also not, not sort of like impenetrably technical, even when it's coming down to like quite specific things like fuel chemistry and stuff like that. Cool. So, I mean, touching on that, could you explain to me and my audience how a battery works within a Formula E car? It 
And it could be as technical as you want it to be or, or as simple as you want it to be. I know it's a really tough question, but... <laughs> uh, I mean, all batteries are pretty simple. So sure. from a kind of... Uh, so if you go and get a lemon out of your fruit bowl now and you put one type of metal uh, or stab it with one type of metal and yeah. stab it with another type of metal, then you will be able to make a very crude chemical battery. Um, it'll be a single-use one. Okay. Uh, you can't recharge a lemon. <laughs> um, but basically, because the acid in um, uh, lemon structure works well enough to, for electrons to flow between, or ions, uh, to flow between the two bits of metal, yes. then you can create charge. And that's, that's how all um, batteries work. Yeah. like on on a basic level okay. um but uh of course when you're looking at something like a lithium-ion battery when you're looking at a kind of um, more complex chemical batteries that you get in uh phones and laptops um and um formula e-cars yeah, yeah, uh, yeah then they are very different they are rechargeable um so they have to have it so that the you can the charge can go from the anode to the cathode and kind of vice versa so that it can be recharged okay, nice. um, and they have to obviously be able to take huge amounts of current so there's two challenges for the formula e battery yeah. one of them is uh, that it will get hit a lot so it has to be mm. a very robust battery compared yes. to um, most of them because a battery getting um, uh, if you have a, if the battery somehow gets exposed or, or is damaged, then that's very dangerous. So, so especially in motorsport, they have to be ultra, ultra robust. Okay. Nice. And then secondly, the other challenge is that it has to charge and discharge a huge amount. So both the amount of power that a race car demands, um, uh, and, uh, the amount that can be put back into the battery as regeneration, um, during a race. So the challenges of that are, are really, really intense, both to be able to make a battery that can take that charge quick enough yes. and for it to um, not, you know, like when you use your phone whilst it's charging and it gets really hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically the same thing happens within a Formula E battery. Now your phone battery can probably get to like about 30 before it starts really getting unwell. Yeah. Um, uh, where we're maybe a bit higher than that, depends. Um, Whereas the Formula E battery can get to 88 centigrade um, and does. Oh, fair um, enough. So, <laughs> it's quite hot. Uh, which that's a lot hotter than a road car's battery. Yeah. Um, but the point of the Formula E battery, because uh, there are road cars now with a 100 kilowatt hour battery. So you might be like, well, why does Formula E only have 52 kilowatts? Mm. Yeah, kilowatt hours, like you could do a longer race. You wouldn't be so limited if you, you know, um, if, if you just, gave them more uh, more electricity or more give them a bit more charge or edit yeah. yeah yeah um uh but um it's the formula e battery has always been kind of benchmarked around where a nissan leaf which for ages was the best-selling electric car in yes. um where a kind of standard small sort of non-luxury electric vehicle is because the point is to force manufacturers to to have that challenge and to um, be making programming and battery management or uh, 
be deriving knowledge from yeah. the series that, that actually can be put into like reasonable road cars. So yeah, it, there's there's a lot of challenges around the Formula E battery. So it sounds like a bit of a, a balance of like risk versus reward at the same time. So it seems like the, the FE teams are all, should I say the FIA have tasked FE teams of really trying to push themselves beyond what a normal road car would do, um, but also stay within some sort of constraints in order to make it entertaining or exciting or even challenging from an engineering perspective. Um, and that sounds really cool, if I'm honest. And I think that leads me to my, my next point, because I was thinking about some questions for you, and apologies for not sending these beforehand. Um, but where do you see the future of of FE as a, as a sport because I know that the Gen 3 cars or the Gen 3 regulations are due to come out um, we've seen Mercedes pull out today which we knew was sort of coming but still a shock after we've won both titles um, where do we where do you see the, the, the sport going? Um, I think Formula is a very interesting series so yes we've had three big German manufacturers pull out but I don't think um, I think when you're looking at the manufacturer changeover that's mm -hmm. happening in Formula E right now, yeah. uh, you have to actually look at when they joined, which is that all of the German manufacturers appeared immediately after Dieselgate. True. <laughs> um, and the reason they appeared was because they didn't at the time have any electric cars that they made. Mm -hmm. They didn't make any. And they desperately needed to put their badge on an electric car. So, um, so the, the very first e-tron, yes. Audi's range of um, uh, electric vehicles, was its Formula E car because it hadn't made another e-tron. Like, okay. they, yeah. Um, so when Porsche, Mercedes and, and BMW and Audi all joined Formula E, it was directly in reaction to, to the absolute like drubbing that they had had in Dieselgate and the fact that their image was at the time absolute mud. Yeah. Um, so especially in terms of environmental credentials. At the time they had to do it in order to have like quick access to be able to talk about electrification. Now what's happening in the auto industry is that everyone is being forced to um, commit to really rapid electrification mm. um, to major, major transformation. Um, you're seeing every brand basically this year and like almost all automotive brands are kind of a part of like horrible megazord things uh, that like Group Renault or, or like Stellantis, which is about nine, well, it's 14 different brands. Yeah. Um, but all of them are announcing the same thing fundamentally, which is that they have to build huge capacity in terms of battery um, manufacturing, that they have to completely transform their production lines from making combustion vehicles yeah. uh, to making electric vehicles. And sometimes that means building more factories, sometimes that means developing new platforms, um, but they're completely refocusing the whole way that their companies function. Mm. Um, and there's different ways of doing it. You know, Mercedes have said they're building gigafactories, Volkswagen yeah. Group have said they're building gigafactories, BMW have said they're not committing to that because they don't think um, the battery technology currently is where it will be in five years. I actually think they're right. Which there. might be a point, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but on the other hand, they are also mucking around with hydrogen, so it's a whole different area. <laughs> um, hydrogen is a whole different kettle of fish. But yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, there's this like massive transformation that is taking place within the automotive industry. 
and at the same time, all motorsport programs are collapsing. So BMW just stopped doing motorsport. Yeah. So. Um, and that was why they pulled out of Formula E. Um, and Volkswagen Group have um, said that Porsche are the only brand who are really allowed to do motorsport. Mm. So they're the only brand that are going to be left in Formula E. Um, and for Mercedes, you know, they have sold off almost all of their F1 team. They don't actually own their own yeah. team in majority anymore. Yeah. And Formula E is another thing that they are removing because the massive investment that they're looking for from the board yes. in order to put in these electrification technologies ironically cancels out the Formula E program. Mm -hmm. um, okay. The reason they're all going now is because of Gen 3, because of that changeover. Yes. Um, and, you know, Audi and BMW pulled out somewhat prematurely you would probably say it is a bit weird that they left midway through a two season cycle of homologation but yeah um when the board decides something the board decides something um and mercedes are just not committing to gen 3 because if if they were to commit to gen 3 and again this is probably why audi and bmw pulled out when they did because you would already be developing that yeah so yeah um Sorry, that was completely detached from what. No, no, no. It's, it's, like, like, it's interesting because it, it, it had me. Yeah. But leading into that, there are a lot of manufacturers who might well find themselves considering a Formula E entry. Mm. Um, because uh, for, say, like um, uh, Hyundai, yes. who have definitely been in talks we know they've they've been involved in looking at a formula entry and um, it could be uh, a a bit a, a good opportunity for promotion for them um especially within sort of european north american markets um but also hyundai a korean company um korea is where all battery technology breakthroughs are being made both on the sort of like an academic level um, and uh, particularly in terms of manufacturing and like looking at production line stuff around creating uh, electric vehicle batteries, Korea is, is very much the home of where EV batteries are made. Yeah. Um, and so the series itself is looking much more towards, it's always been a little bit anomalous that we've only ever had, you know, one um, Chinese car company involved, which was Neo. Yeah. Um, when China is so key to the way that um, electric vehicles are being developed, the, the, the number of electric vehicles that are being made, um, and the series is sort of consciously looking more towards the East and, and kind of always has been, mm. um, than really worrying about whether you have, you know, exactly the same manufacturers as Formula One. Yeah. Um, there will be manufacturers who want to enter and it also doesn't really matter you know at one point we had 11 manufacturer teams or something which is you don't it's far them. too much yeah um so uh and they all just start arguing with each other uh and throwing their weight around i think the future of formula e as a consequence will be there's a sort of assumption that formula e will become formula one when it grows up okay and yeah. that it will move to permanent circuits um, that it will get a lot faster, that the, there'll be um, sort of, that it's, it's sort of got training wheels on at the moment. 
I think a lot of people will be surprised by how much Formula E uh, clings to the city tracks. Mm. I think there is an acceptance that because we don't know how the future is going to look, especially with COVID, with um, as the climate changes, there's going to be more and more disruption and stuff. Like we, yeah. we definitely have to accept that going to permanent circuits is something that is probably always now going forward is going to be a thing. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, I think we'll get much better at adapting to it. So things like having a different power mode that lets you, so a lower power mode um, for going to say like Hong Kong or Paris, which yeah. are, are really cool central tracks, but which you can't even hit 250 for the Yeah, the, the power can't be deployed. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not. just ridiculous because you know, the longest straight is all of like 100 meters or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'd better get up to talk to um, but like, um, but also have, you know, like, because with electric vehicles, you can just say, well, we're using 150 kilowatts here and we're using 400 kilowatts here. Yes. Then you can vary all of that. We'll see um, stuff like rapid charging um, and to some extent charging technologies being mm. showcased more because we don't, you know, you know that they must be charging the cars, but you don't really see a lot of it. Um, regen, which has been the big, big thing that Formula E has done. Yeah. Um, I'm writing a piece about this, but like when Formula E first appeared, road cars were had regen at sort of like 60, 70 kilowatts. It was quite low. Yeah. Um, and um, Formula E set it at like 100 and then 150. And now you have 250 kilowatts of regen. That is a huge increase. Mm. Um, and because regen is the um, the big miracle range extender for electric vehicles, particularly for battery electric vehicles, um, as opposed to fuel cells, because you can't regenerate hydrogen. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it'd be way too complicated. Um, uh, yeah, like it's regen is so important to how we make electric battery electric vehicles viable if we can get regen working really well then we can only use we can use much smaller battery packs in cars which means using less lithium which means like um there's huge environmental efficiencies like it's a really really important uh, piece of developing electric vehicles as the future and it's not something that has been pushed forward by the broader automotive industry but it is something, you know, you still, I was speaking to AMG about their really cool F1 kind of inspired or like like borrowing from F1 um, hybrid unit that they've made. Oh, is this... only regening it, like 77 kilowatts. Quick question, is this for the upcoming um, C-class and E-class models, the ones that they're about to debut? Not, well, it might be September actually, or is it next year? Because I know that they're looking at some sort of new electrical components for the new C63. There's been like a massive outcry as to whether yes, it's yeah, probably a C63 or not yeah, and, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was just, I was just kind of like rewinding in my brain and trying to be like, which one? Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's the hyper power train that will be used in all of their hybrids going forward. Um, but yeah, the region was so weak. Um, whereas. Yeah, you're seeing that push so hard in Formula E and, and the programming that goes into managing that region yes. um, and managing the way that the Formula E drivers manage it with the braking yes. um, can go directly into road cars, can, can be learning that it is transferable to road cars. 
Um, so like, I don't know, Sam Bird can make you a better driver if you've got an iPad. Um, so uh, yeah, there, there's all kinds of exciting things. I, I think a lot of people, yes, there is an aerodynamic development in Formula E, but aerodynamic development of race cars has almost no road transfer. Um, and I think, uh, especially with single seaters, you know, the chassis development is interesting. It's a very, very technologically advanced part of the sport. Yeah. Um, but it has no manufacturer road transfer. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's the future of Formula E is, is in things that you can't necessarily see, um, but which will create sort of very interesting formats, very interesting action on track, I think. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so, I mean, when it comes to, I, I know that F1 is looking at the new sort of 2025 regs now, like we've got 22, 22, sorry, we have 22 coming up and everyone's losing their minds about it and it's really scary. We don't know who's going to be at, at the forefront. Could be Williams, could be Alpha, for all we know. Um, but I know that Toto Wolf and Christian Horn have also spoken about what type of engine do we move forward? Uh, with it in like 2025 is it ICE focused is it even going back to V10s which in my opinion isn't sustainable all whilst we're trying to use more biofuels um, and Toto Wolf mentioned something I can't remember which article I read it on uh, but he mentioned something a few weeks ago saying that he would love to have a more electric or electrified component for his engine as opposed to what they're using at the moment which is still fairly decent for, for an F1 team um, what's your take on that or do you have a take on that potentially like with F1 adopting um, more of FE's mantra or the model. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I, I agree with Toto. Um, mm. If there's going to be manufacturer relevance and Formula One does need manufacturers, um, then uh, you have to go forwards with uh, a bigger electrification element. Yeah. It's also, um, if you put a, a, a V10 in a Formula One car, the acceleration will look silly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not because the V10 isn't powerful, not because the car isn't one uh, well designed, um, but because it, as soon as you have an electrical, uh, an electrified element um, to a powertrain, the instant torque of um, the electric, sorry, the electric deployment. Yes. Just the the acceleration is so much greater. You would also have huge problems if you took the hybrid powertrains out of Formula One cars now, mm. um, because there aren't brakes that can stop Formula One cars. Yeah. Um, so, as in Formula E, about eighty percent of braking in Formula One is regeneration. Okay. So, if their hybrid system fails, they they find it very very difficult to stop. Yeah. Um, like you can just about do it, but it's it's not good, um, because the you don't always have to recover that energy into the battery, but you, you're sort of like taking it out by the motor. Um, so yeah, the, I, I don't think you can go backwards on that. You, you can only go forwards on the electrification element. Um, are there interesting things to do with internal combustion engines still? Maybe. Mm. Most manufacturers, including Daimler, have said they're stopping development on internal combustion engines. Yeah. If not already, then in the very near future. Um, so, yeah, I think if you keep the V6s, that's great. Yeah. They're, they're probably, you know, the engines 
um, running in Formula One are about as efficient as you can possibly ever make an engine. And then you look at simplifying maybe the hybrid system. Okay. MGUH is very unlikely to ever. There have been like a few road cars that have MGUH. There's a few road car systems that have something close to MGUH. Yeah, nothing. In terms of um, some of the exhaust to turbo cycling. But like, it's, it's not, it's very unlikely that that, that will ever have any transfer. Mm. Um, so when you're looking at, at simplifying those power units, it, it has come in a lot that you could just have the MGUK, you give that a bigger role, you give it, um, you let the cars have um, more substantial energy stores, which will almost certainly be batteries. Yeah. Um, and you kind of, um, yeah, let it go from there. Um, maybe you could even end up with plug-in hybrid F1 cars um, because at the moment, all of the power has to be generated from the fuel. Yes. Um, so they start the race with zero, uh, nothing in the battery um, and actually can't use it until they get up to a certain speed anyway. Um, but yeah, it, I think... I think there's people like Christian Horner who is pushing much more for uh, the spectacle and for for sort of relevance in any kind of road sense to be uh, minimised, which you can see where he's coming from. He works for an entertainment company. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the actual engineering, like there has to be some sort of link, and it also has to be the case that the F1 does use technology which is what is at the forefront of what the automotive industry is doing because yes. if f1 is using you know 20 30 year old technology then it's like well what is it my twingo you know mm. um the, sort of what's the point from like a sort of generalist view as well isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. and it, it's sort of I, I think there's a lot that can be done to improve f1 which is sort of um marked down to the hybrid era but isn't necessarily to do anything to do with power units themselves yeah yes they are more expensive yes they are tricky to develop but they're also technologies that like every although it's hard obviously making f1 power unit is harder than building a prius yes um but it's still technologies that, that like the auto industry is having to get to grips with really fast and, and something that was completely alien. This will stop being a kind of like novel idea. Um, so yeah, I think, I think there will be an increased electrical element. Um, I think, uh, that will, will play a larger and larger role. Yeah. Um, I think we'll see quite a lot of changes to the aerodynamics of F1 cars still, um, especially because, so it's interesting, like Formula 1 and Formula E have kind of ended up becoming a little bit more like each other recently. Yeah. Um, in the sense that Formula 1 has found itself having to go to street tracks because it's where you can get close to people, it's where you can get more attention. Yeah. Um, it's where you can build something that people can come to easily and you can do it quickly. And Formula E has found itself having to go to permanent circuits because we needed to be more isolated because of yeah. COVID. Yeah. Um, so, uh, like, some interesting thing, uh, parallels there. 
Um, but yeah, form, Formula One is going to need to probably, as like I was talking about with Formula E, where you're setting like how higher and lower power modes depending on the track that you're at. Yeah, there will be things like aero packages for a street circuit where you won't have something like the incredibly aggressive low downfall stuff that you could put on at Monza. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think. Formula One's going to have to adapt to its environment a little bit more, both in terms of um, the fan base mm. um, and and the fan base it wants to attract yeah. uh, now, and also in terms of um, what automakers and and what the the direction that automotive engineering is going in. Um, and I had some other point, but I can't think what it was. No worries. <laughs> um, I, I think you touched on something quite quite interesting there. So I know you mentioned that uh, maybe uh, manufacturers or even the teams themselves in the future might have to move towards sort of track specific um, packs. So for example, we had uh, Hungary where everyone opted to run sort of high downforce because of the, the track layout. And maybe even in like Baku, apart from Red Bull this year, no one could, <laughs> could run the wing that they were running. Um, do you think that could allow for closer racing and maybe that's something that Formula E and Formula One could also sort of adopt in the future or or do we think that there's another way and I know we're going slightly off topic from electrics but do you, do you think that there's another way that we could in, encourage better overtakes or more of a spectacle without having to increase our carbon footprint actually that's a very wide open question so apologies but yeah <laughs> um I've just realised what the other thing I was going to talk about was oh, yeah, sure. synthetic fuels, but I'll come back to that. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, having variable aero would be more expensive because you're building more aero sets. Yeah. Um, so, in the era of the cost cap, it's quite likely that maybe teams would agree that you can have, like, two sets of aero okay. yeah. per season. And like... So, although we hope that the 2022 regulations are going to promote, you know, much better overtaking because... You've got this ground effect downforce, so it shouldn't you shouldn't lose that massive amount of stability as soon as you're in dirty uh, air. Yes. But um we don't really know if they actually will. And I don't think anyone so teams in terms of the 2021 regulations, where there was just sort of this incision taken away from the uh from the floor of the car, yeah. weren't really expecting there to be that much effect. Most people assumed uh, were saying, you know, halfway through last year, oh, we've already got all the downforce back. Yeah. Um, you know, it's already minimised. But actually, we have seen quite a lot of, of difference in terms of the way that teams have uh, been able to apply things. And, um, <laughs> you know, their F1 teams, they'll be interpreting the rules down to the nth degree. Yeah. And things like McLaren probably have the third fastest car yeah. this year. And I it's agree. almost certainly down to that funny little diffuser that they've got at the back. Yeah. Um, even though they've got a chassis that doesn't quite fit their power unit and they've got sort of like all kinds of issues, but they just were clever enough to do that. And yeah, it's the problem with trying to make the problem with trying to make Formula One do anything is that the teams are kind of always fighting Formula One. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. Um, but I think something that they can agree on in the cost cut era is that i think generally teams are keen to make it 
limited in terms of the amount of parts you can use and stuff or, or the amount of upgrades that you can bring and to have those kind of token systems because it does make it really clear because you can see when someone puts a new element on the car you know yeah yeah definitely okay that's i think that's something i can definitely agree with because i think back in i don't want to accuse any team because i don't want to get sued um but back in <laughs> Right, 2014 to, to 2016, we, we saw teams um, going way beyond, if not double, the, the budget cap um, for this year just to try and core performance at a specific track, beat a specific team. Um, and I'm not naming anyone. I love most teams. But I'm just saying it's it's something which smaller teams weren't able to do um, just due to the amount of funding or the amount of financial support. So I think that could definitely be something um, in terms of minimizing the amount of upgrades you can bring per year and if you choose to spend your tokens on a particular upgrade it's limited to that one upgrade and maybe that's something that fe and even MotoGP could could look at as well um i'm yeah. just very aware of time so we have about five minutes left um i just wanted to get your take on how someone could enter the industry because i know you spoke about how you came from an engineering background and how, how you entered from that perspective what advice would you give to someone like maybe not myself but because I, I, I do tech recruitment, it's not that fun. Um, although it is fun if you're listening from work. Um, <laughs> um, but for someone who just wishes to, to find out more about Motorsport and get into the industry, let's say like they're at college or uni, um, what, would you, what would you recommend? Oh, sorry, have I cut out? Um. I think I may have cut out again, isn't it? Okay, sure. Bear with me one second. My my biggest piece of advice um, for getting into the industry, um, a lot of people talk about, you know, passion and working hard and stuff. Um, truthfully, it does come down to being able to get opportunities. Yes. Um, and a large bit of that is um, being able to make people aware of your work. Okay. So um, don't wait for people to sort of ask you to write something. If you want to write something, don't ask people to want for you or wait for someone to ask you to create stuff if you want to make videos or, or podcasts or whatever. Yeah. Um, start doing it. Uh, try and get good at it. Um, there's a lot of motorsport, or sort of doing stuff in the motorsport industry has been very formalised for a very long time, but actually, like, now everything's on the internet. There's not really any particular rules about what you could create that will be successful. Yes. Um, so I would say start kind of answering the questions that are interesting to you like whether you're interested in the technology or whether you're interested in the people or, or just um the strategy or something like start by something that, that you write or create what you would read or watch mm. um and um yeah there because there's every chance there's a whole bunch of other fans who would as well so <laughs> um yeah, I think if you do that and then, you know, it, it is boring to have to promote stuff and, and create stuff, but, like, people will notice things and um, it's 
yeah, you you have to kind of make your own space and your own opportunities because what exists in terms of the establishment is very limited and is pretty exclusive, um, which can be frustrating um, or just straight up like maddening. Yeah. Uh, but um, it is it's also an exciting time because there's been this big diversification in terms of the types of media that people consume about motorsport um, from podcasts and, and, you know, YouTube stuff through to um, the stuff that even people will read. Um, uh, and I think, yeah, there's, there's a, there's an opportunity to be part of kind of like redefining what people think is interesting, you know, Five years ago, we wouldn't have all been glued to drive to survive every year, even if we then yeah. moan about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's oh, drive to survive. That's a whole other topic, which I'm, I'm more than happy to, to get into, but I'm just very aware of time because um, it has its positives and its unfortunate negatives. But, um, mm. but yeah, no, just, just due to time, I mean, thank you so, so much for, for coming on. Um, it's been a real pleasure to learn more about what you do and also from an electric uh, standpoint i had no idea how batteries call, call me stupid uh, but i had no idea how much of an impact batteries played in in motors and especially when it came to regen like i can read articles particularly yours and a few others but yeah i, I didn't know that that much so so thank you so much for educating me on, on that and my audience um i'd be happy to speak to you again but everyone if you are listening please um go check out hey Hazel on Hazel Southwell on Twitter and also at Drive Tribe where she's doing some amazing work. Um, so yeah, thank you so so much. I'm just very aware that this Zoom call may cut out, um, but I'll ping you on Twitter a, a massive thank you. Um, so yeah, thank you so back. much. Let me see oh, thank you for too. having me on. It's been oh, really lovely. It's back. Amazing. <laughs> cool. <laughs> but, um, but thank you, and I'm sure we'll be in touch with the future as well. Yeah, yeah, and good luck with everything. Thank Bye. you.